So I'm going to um, just introduce Andy to you um, and just give him a chance to say a little bit about him and his role. And we're going to do this in the form of a um, uh, this time tomorrow type style that we sometimes do on a Sunday morning. So just asking Andy a bit about his role, what he would normally be doing this time tomorrow and maybe what he is doing. <laughs> um, and also um, how we can pray for him and Christians in politics in particular. Um, and then he's going to go on and speak for us. So Andy, if I can, hopefully you're unmuted and hopefully we can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, excellent. Great. Good. <laughs> So, um, yeah, Andy, thank you ever so much for joining us this morning. Much appreciated. Do you want to just say a bit about who you are, where you are in the country, and what your role is? Sure. Hi, folks. It's so lovely to be with you this morning. What a privilege to be with you. This is this is such a precious thing to gather together, isn't it? You know, I, I'm just I, I'm sitting looking at all your smiling faces and thinking, so I'm here. I'm in Luton, uh, as you can tell from the accent. Luton, obviously from Luton, and uh, and uh, uh, here with my my wife Jenny and my son and daughter who are just stepping out into the snow as we speak, as I can see. <laughs> I'm sitting here at the bottom of the garden, uh, and uh, just thinking, what a precious thing this is. You know, there are so many people across this town. There's so many of our neighbours here in Luton in our area who would who would just just be incredulous at the thought of a bunch of people gathering together to bless one another and just the yeah just underlines the preciousness of what we have as being people of God in this time eh? yeah absolutely you know? and so um yeah I am uh, in terms of what I'll be doing uh, <laughs> this time tomorrow morning I, I mean my job is uh, the I'm the executive director of, of Christians in politics um, and you know obviously I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on we're here to support and resource Christians who are getting involved right across the political spectrum encouraging them and training them and uh, you know trying to support them once they're there um uh, what i'll be doing tomorrow morning though is is homeschooling my my seven-year-old uh jesse and my five-year-old jubilee uh i mean you know i, I must confess i've been absolutely loving it I, I don't know about you but, uh i know everybody one of the major challenges of this pandemic is that everybody's in very different circumstances and so it's it's really important not to make what you would call like totalizing statements because yeah. everybody's in different situations but um we had a really rough 2020 uh, with some illness my jubilee had an awful eye injury to her eye that led to her having to have a, an artificial lens put in her eye with bramble and a thorn got stuck and punctured her lens and mm. uh, i got really ill after some surgery on my knee uh jesse's eczemas but we, we we've had a you know all in the context of covid we've had a rough 2020 but um I must confess just now we we are um absolutely I'm really loving the homeschooling experience I'm loving getting to see them under stress as well as in play you know getting to see the kids in in work as as well as in play and feel like I'm getting to know their character that much better uh you know which is sometimes a great realization sometimes not such a good realization but it feels like it's healthy and it's good so yeah that's what I do so my wife and I just uh sort of divvy up the homeschooling during the course of a week so um, it means there's there's less there's obviously like for many people there's less work going on yeah. um, but you know it's it's a it's a joy to be with them 
Um, that, that's what I'll be doing tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, morning. Lovely. No, <laughs> brilliant. And yeah, what can we pray for you in Christian politics? I know you do um, a, a, some great work, particularly around bringing people of different political persuasions and parties together, knowing that they have more in common, you know, in, in Christ than they do in terms of their differences around that. So what can we pray for you and particularly the work of Christian poli in politics at the moment? Oh, I think, British, you put your finger on it, that this is a time in the world uh, where it's likely, if we're honest, the divisions are going to get worse if we allow things to slide, if we aren't intentional about our relationship building with those with whom we disagree. And obviously we are uh, living in the shadow of a pandemic, but also very aware of what's happened in the United States in the last in the last few well you would say decades not just and it's not just you know it hasn't just happened because it's just suddenly arisen in the last few years it's not just because of donald trump um it's it's been there because two groups of people have started to live separately you know and uh, and to drink different water you would almost say to almost breathe different air and so there are two competing narratives i have dear friends on both sides of the political divide in the United States and, and to speak to them at the minute is almost like you need to speak two different languages. It's like they're describing two different countries. And, and I know where this goes coming from Northern Ireland uh, when you have two cultures that are like almost living totally separately. I know where this goes and we've also already seen some of the violence kicking off. And But we'd be really naive to not think that that's not possible here mm. too in the United Kingdom um, because of the toxicity of social media because of the, the fractioning of media, where increasingly people are, you know, just reading one newspaper or just looking at one net website. Um, and you saw that expressed with the Brexit situation really painfully in this country, where it's not just a, an academic issue of thinking about policy issues. It's actually, you know, it really grabs something close to identity. So our reactions are visceral. And therefore, I'm sure many of you have seen on your social news feeds, uh, on your social media feeds, you know, people who you previously thought were kind of mild mannered, calm people who are suddenly <laughs> sharing something and you're like, what? You know, um, and, and so um, I guess my prayer where I'm going with this is that we desperately need to pray that uh, we can support those whose call it is to step into the world of cult politics, but whose call it is to build, be those reconcilers, be those bridge builders, be those people who in humility, realize that they may not have all the answers, realize that they have got something to bring, but actually that there may be other folks with something to bring as well. And that's that's what we're doing as Christians of Politics. We're bringing like the meeting that Bernice was at mm. on Wednesday night. It was incredible. The mm. breakout rooms were, we've had all these incredible testimonies from breakout rooms. I don't know if you do breakout rooms during the, in this context, I'm guessing you sometimes do, yeah. um, but often they're randomized. And we just prayed the day before um, this meeting. We were going to, like 360 people signed up from around the country. And we said, Lord, please let the right people end up together in these breakout rooms. And nearly every single room reported these incredible stories of, yeah, I was there. There was a green person. There was a, a blue person. There was a red person. There was a yellow person. There was an independent. You know, and they all just experienced this incredible freedom and, and, and joy in praying with one another, even though many of them were involved in, uh, you know, uh, as, as local councillors, some MPs, some MLAs. You know, it was... So I guess we're just trying to say it is possible under God. It is possible because we, you know, we, we realize it's kingdom before tribe and we realize that our primary allegiance is to a higher king. And that's why when our primary identity is so firmly rooted in who we are in Christ, that means we grab slightly less strongly to those other tribal identities that we're tempted to grab for, you know, whether that's Brexiteer, Remainer, you know, conservative, progressive, 
we grab less strongly and therefore our, our, we can hold those things. Because some of them are not bad things. Like all idols, they start as good things, but then we just grab them too tightly and they become idols. So if, if you were praying for anything in our work, it would be to pray for that work that's desperate uh, to bring people together. Not, not to make peace with lies, not to make peace with stuff that's not truth, not to kind of sort of pretend uh, that you know everything's equal. Uh, and that all things are allowed, but actually to be in humility, building relationship. If we do desperately disagree with someone and we do believe that they're not uh, speaking the truth, then thinking about, well, how do we go about building a relationship with that person and being involved in a work of persuasion, being involved in a work of the spirit with that person rather than shouting at them from a distance on social media. Um, and so that's what we're here to do as Christians in politics, uh, to bring people together, to, to foster those spaces in local groups where only through those relationships can those things uh, start to happen. And I'm starting to preach. So I <laughs> That's all right. No, you're doing well. Let me pray for you and then you can actually get going. <laughs> so, Lord, we just thank you for Andy and for the vision that you've given him um, to be this bridge builder um, and to lead Christians in politics in this nation. Um, I thank you that he's come from this nation of Northern Ireland and that, that has influenced him so much in terms of just wanting to bring uh, people together to build bridges. And um, I thank you that he is a peacemaker in our times, but he's also not frightened to stand up for those where there is injustice and those where there aren't people who haven't got a voice and those that, um, you know, we know that Jesus would be and is reaching out to. So we pray and thank you for him. Um, and I thank you for uh, the fact that you opened doors for him, I'm sure, in Parliament, that he is an advocate in those corridors of power and responsibility. And I thank you and pray that you bless and anoint him in this ministry that he has. But we pray for our nation. We pray that you would heal the divides in, in various forms and in various places that uh, are, have sprung up and are, you know, causing people to, um, you know, to, to break with each other. And we thank you for um, these opportunities in the pandemic where we've reached out to those that are neighbours and our community and just shown love uh, to people, whoever they are. And I pray that you would just uh, anoint, as I say, Andy's ministry and those that work and volunteer with Christians in politics to keep um, doing what they do and that you would just bless their work, Lord. So I pray for Andy now. I pray that you would just inspire him with your words um, and that we would have ears to hear and ears to listen um, to what you are saying to us today, Lord. In your name. Amen. Over to you, Andy. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Bernice. Well, good morning again, folks. Um, are you all still there? Are you all still, you're all still alive? Can I see some hands? Great, great. It's lovely to see you. It's been lovely to look around and uh, decide which house I'd like to come and live in. <laughs> it, it is a fascinating thing to, to have this window into each other's worlds, isn't it? It's, it's, it's quite an incredible thing. And as I said earlier, it's such a, such a precious thing. And it's, it's especially wonderful to be with you uh, this morning, uh, having uh, got to know Amy Fortnum really well over the course of these last few years. Amy's done an amazing job uh, developing the work of young Christians in politics, especially working with students and, and guiding some other folks who have come along the way, who have been joining Christians in politics these last few years. So um, it's great to see, uh, it's great to see, um, oh, and there's, there's John as well. Hi, John. Um, and I, it's great to see uh all, all of you having heard about yourselves uh, at Alton Baptist uh, from Amy. So um, I don't feel like I'm here with strangers, but you know, we're not very many, uh, you know, not many, not very many links in the chain removed. Um, 
It's wonderful that you're going through this series on influence um, because it's been a huge part of what we've been doing and sharing over the course of these last few years uh, with Christians in politics. And I guess our thinking around the issue of influence uh, centers on one, uh, one particular thought and that in our current world, as I've just been sharing, in our current world where basically might is right so often uh, and where those with the numbers succeed and where those with the money and the influence and the power succeed, we can easily get sucked into thinking that the loudest voice wields the most influence. And uh, I guess in the, the two decades now that I've been involved in politics, I've seen very, very clearly uh, that actually there is a difference between just making noise, just sending hundreds and thousands of emails, which all look the same, uh, just banging uh, on government ministers' doors, uh, stating loudly what we want, standing up for our rights. There's a huge difference between making noise and having influence, actual strategic influence. And I've seen so clearly that the difference between just making noise and having influence is relationship. And that's not necessarily something that we want to hear because uh, we would much rather do the thing from a distance. It costs a lot less to send an email. It costs a lot more to offer, uh, to go and meet a local councillor, to have coffee with them, to invite them to come to a gathering, to actually do the hard yards of getting involved, perhaps with a local political party, with people who you won't agree with on everything. Those are hard yards. Those mean sitting through hours upon hours of really dull meetings. You know, but those of, in the, those of us that have been in the church should be actually pretty good at getting through hours and hours and hours of meetings, shouldn't we? But, but you know, there is a reality to getting involved that there's a cost. But Jesus always said that there would be a cost in being involved and there would be a cost at being, as he described it, the yeast that works through the dough uh, when he described the kingdom. So I am, I am so, so committed to this, this message of influence and thinking about what influence actually looks like in the realm of politics. Uh, so for us, it's crystallized around this idea. And so I want to start off by showing you a video that we, we did a tour uh, for, for two years. We went all the way around the country to various towns and cities, and uh, it was called the Influence Tour. And this is a video that we showed in every city that we went to. We were calling people not just to come and think about politics, not just to come and pray about politics, but to get involved in, in politics, to be influencers in their local situation. And I know that there are many of you who are already involved in your local situation from, what, from talking to your members. So I wanted to affirm that and I wanted to challenge that there might be some others during the course of this morning who actually feel that call of God to be involved, to be more relationally involved. So many of us, uh, are what you might call armchair activists. You know, we have fairly strong opinions on most political things and on most, you know, theological things, but we mostly articulate those views from the safety of our living room or from the safety of behind our screen. And, and this is about, even though this is very difficult to do in a pandemic, and uh, this is about trying to do it relationally. This is about trying to not just shout from a distance, not just have our hard-won opinions kept to a screen, but actually get to know flesh and blood. And that is much more difficult because it's awkward when we start to disagree and sometimes disagree on some major things. But that's where we need the grace of God. That's where we need the Holy Spirit to grease the cogs. That's where we need the faith. That's when we start to you know, run that adventure of faith 
because we are having to step out and it's not just easy and we're not just hanging out with people who agree with us. That's where the challenge is. That's where I see God moving. That's when I see incredible stuff happening. That's when I see the people who are on their knees as, as Jesus sent out his disciples. You know, they learned on the job out amongst people who did not think like them. That's when they came back excited saying, look what is happening. You know, the, you know, the demons bow down and people are healed. And, 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 you know, the Son of Man is raised up. These, this is, these, are the, these are the contexts where we really learn, where we're really discipled. You know, I think in the next few years in the church, I think coming out of this pandemic, we are going to see the whole idea of what discipleship looks like turned around. We are going to realize that actually discipleship happens while we're on mission. It happens when we're in those tough places. And, uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, but first of all, I just want to show you this video to set a context of what's already been happening and what our prayer all around the country is. Everywhere we went, we, we tried to catalyze a local group of people coming together, of folks from across the political spectrum, of across the different churches in a town. And it's been beautiful to see so many of those groups come together. Of people found common ground because, again, their primary allegiance is to a higher king. This is the influence video, if I can get it to work. It's always the scariest moment in one of these gatherings, isn't it? <laughs> The screen sharing moment is like, is this really going to work? So tell me, thumbs up yeah. if you can hear it. It's it's certainly showing. So let's just hope it plays and we can hear the sound. How much do you know about Obadiah? If you're anything like me, not very much. That's because he worked behind the scenes. You could say he was the sound guy to Elijah's worship leader. King Ahab has been leading Israel astray, dabbling with other gods, and Elijah is told to challenge him. But Elijah doesn't about this dysfunctional political leadership from the desert, screaming into the ether on social media and drumming up signatures for his down with Baal petition. Instead, he seeks a connection with an actual human being. Obadiah managed Ahab's palace and affairs, and it couldn't have been easy for this God-fearing civil servant to be present at the heart of a regime that was doing such damage to God's honour. But he stayed. He was faithful. Then, at the right moment, he meets Elijah and is perfectly placed to broker a very unlikely meeting. The rap battle to end all rap battles takes place on Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal suffer total humiliation and an impossible bonfire that even Bear Grylls couldn't have managed leaves a lasting impact on the consciousness of the people of Israel. But it wouldn't have happened without the event management skills of Obadiah. It wouldn't to be holding the clipboard as it is to be holding the microphone. Elijah constantly confronted King Ahab from outside the court of people like him but less of us are working on the inside like Obadiah we need more brave people like him let's face it it's much more exciting to see altars burst into flames than to be forwarding emails around government departments Elijah gets to be the hero of Sunday school stories Obadiah find mm, our message until it's perfect then pump it out with every piece of technology we can find but if we don't connect with any real people who are willing to listen, it may not bear the fruit that it can. Between noise and influence is relationship. If the very nature of God is a set of relationships, could it be true that the kingdom of God never moves faster than the speed of relationships? We live in a noisy world. 
so much information, but not much wisdom. How do we filter it? How do we work out which words to believe? We believe what's said by the people we know and trust. So wouldn't it be better if people were hearing our message from people that they know and trust? Making noise helps us feel better, but it may not be so great for the rest of the world. Noise makes you move away from something. Relationship draws you closer to someone. Do we just want to feel like we've done our duty? Or do we want to have real influence? If so, we need to do the hard yards of relationship building. It may not be fast and it may not be pretty, but we will learn and be transformed in the process. And it may just lead to moments when impossible and beautiful things cause everyone to stop and stare and say, the Lord, he... Great. So could you all see that okay? Um, and, you know, it's my absolute joy to be able to report to you that these moments of beauty are happening around the country. You know, I could tell you about Andrea Robinson, this incredible uh, counsellor uh, from Doncaster, um, who read the book, Those Who Show Up. Oh, it might be. Is there a copy of it here somewhere? No, I should have been better organised. I wrote a book. Oh, actually, yes. Uh, those who show up this is the book that's kind of been you know the stories of so many of the people that have been involved uh, over the last few years and the kind of the theological biblical basis of this call to engagement um, and uh, she she read the book and um, she felt really convicted that she should get involved and so a couple of weeks later she went to her uh, local the the, she went to, it was in this case it was a labor branch meeting that she went to it was in Doncaster it was it was hard to find a, a conservative one and um and she basically showed up she felt like God was saying show up just show up and then um, straight away they asked her to be the vice chair like in the first meeting and then a few weeks later they asked her to stand as a local councillor six months later she's standing as a local councillor and uh, oh Somebody, oh, I thought somebody was waving. It's just no, it's just somebody just saying hello. Hi, uh, hi guys. Hi, the kings. You're looking good, people. Yay. Thank you. And um, and uh, and you know, now you know, two years later, she's just the most done the most incredible job in her part of Doncaster, linking all the incredible voluntary work that the church is doing with what the council are doing and being just a shining light. And she just showed up. This this lady who never in a million years thought that she would get political. And I could tell you loads and loads more stories of those folks. The, 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 the opportunity is huge. The opportunity is huge. And, uh, and God is using his people and little beacons of light and hope are, are, are shining. It's the most exciting thing. So I wanted to I wanted to just read uh, something from from the book. So I'm glad I actually found it. This is this is um, Genesis chapter one. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to go straight to Genesis chapter one, if that's all right. And we'll do verse 26 to verse Says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
Now, we know those words. We've heard those words many times, probably in our lives, if we've been anywhere near church. And uh, they are incredible words. They're words that call us to think about us and our planet. And I guess in many, in recent years, many of us have read those words, words as encouragements to be better stewards of our planet and to think about our responsibility that Adam and Eve were given right back at the start. So we have looked at these words a lot, but I think we've looked at the what of these words. But what we often haven't looked at is the when of these words. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. What I was mentioning earlier, in his image, called to reflect him to the world, called to have him as our primary identity, our primary identity as being made in the image of God, not grabbing for these secondary identities of these political tribes, but actually having this as our primary identity. It's such a key thought, but it happens. When does it happen? When does this call to public leadership, when does this call to stewardship happen? Remarkably, it happens before the fall. In Genesis 1, 26, we read these words and we sometimes just take them out of context and we don't realize that they occur before anything has gone wrong. Before anything has gone wrong, human beings are called to public leadership. They are called to stewardship over all of creation, over all of what happens on planet Earth. This call into governance that God is a good God who has a passion for good governance that we see all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament, where we're looking at Jubilee, we're looking at Sabbath, we're looking at how the New Testament church ordered its priorities. God has this passion for good governance, for humans to interact well with one another and with him. He cares about how society is ordered. And he is calling Adam and Eve to be part of that process, to play their part, to be stewards, to be involved in public leadership over all of creation. And that call is happening before the fall. And it's the when of it that I want to focus on. It happens before the fall. And it's such a key thing because there is a really alluring and dangerous thread of theology that sadly is coming over a little bit from across the pond in our direction that says politics is just a necessary evil. Politics, it's a dirty game, it's a nasty game, but it's just a necessary evil. Because we live in a fallen world, it's a necessary evil to constrain evil. And that's a very alluring thought, especially when you look at what the media feed us about politics and politicians. It's very easy to think that it is a an ugly seditious thing that as Christians we should just be nowhere near actually we'll get on with the spiritual stuff we'll get on with the Sunday morning stuff and we'll actually let other people get on with the taxation with the bins with the economy with healthcare. we'll let other people get on with that but that couldn't be further from what from what Adam and Eve are being called to they're being called into this before anything goes wrong so it's not just a pragmatic response to the fall it's not just a pragmatic response to evil to say, oh, we need to sort our world out. It's far more than that. It's a divine vocation. It's a holy calling to be leading in the context of our world and in the whole breadth of our world, not just leading the way that people sing songs, not just leading the way that people read their Bibles. This is about leading people in how they live their lives, the breadth, the totality of their lives. There is this incredible call right at the start of scripture to be involved in leadership. And it happens before anything goes wrong. And you might say to me, well, Andy, that's all very nice. But why is that important? Why is that important? Why is that not just a little bit semantic, to be honest? 
a little bit an interesting theological point because having been involved in the world of politics for the last two decades, I have seen that it makes a huge difference. When I see Christians get involved, there's a huge difference between how they get involved if they believe that it's just a pragmatic response to sorting out our world, which has gone wrong, or if they believe that it's a holy calling. And they're there to glorify God in the victories and in the failures. Because if you believe that politics is just a pragmatic response to a fallen world and we're just there to sort out the world, if that's what you believe, then as soon as something goes wrong, as soon as you manage to not sort something out, as soon as you lose an election, as soon as you don't get selected, quite often what happens is that you just give up. Or as soon as something goes wrong in your own life, as soon as you take some flack on social media, quite often you think, all right, okay, I can't be bothered with this or I'll just put my head back below the parapet. And people don't last very long in politics when they go in just trying to sort out pragmatic problems. The people that last for a long time, the people that shine are those who utterly believe that this is a divine vocation, that this is a holy calling, that they are called to reflect the image of God to the world, the priests and kings that we are called to be. Those are the people that hang around because they believe that this is a holy calling. And the wonderful thing is that that makes sense of what we're actually going to be doing for eternity. This is looking at things just right back at the start of creation. But actually, we also know that what we'll be doing forever is ruling and reigning with him. All the promises through the New Testament that we will be ruling and reigning with him forever, that we will be that kingdom of priests, that we will be spending eternity. You know, it would appear Adam and Eve were called into the management of perfection. It would appear that even perfection needs managed, you know? And Bernice or any of the staff team will tell you that that's true with your church as well. Even perfection needs managed. And so, yeah, I can see some of you are kind of shaking your heads or like, <laughs> that, you know, it would appear that we, that perfection that we will be part of for all eternity, that's something we will be involved in working and worshiping and managing and ruling and reigning with God. So this bit in between is just our opportunity of an apprenticeship. We're learning how to lead in public. We're learning how to lead the breadth of what life is. We're learning how to lead. We're learning how to exercise his rule and reign. We're learning how to reflect the perfection of his image to, yes, to a fallen world. But we're not doing it just to sort stuff out. We're doing it because it's what we do if we are sons and daughters of the living God. This is not just a pragmatic thing that some people need to get involved in. And the problem with the theology that has led us to saying, well, you know, politics, not nice, but I'm glad that some people do it. Bless you. Bless you for getting on with that. But I couldn't, you know, see you. No problem. The problem with that line of thinking means that we have, as the church, quite often stepped back and left politics to other people while we get on with the slightly more pleasant stuff. And the other challenge is that we sometimes then get involved as we've been awoken to the massive need in our world and our country around us. And you see the explosion of food banks and debt counselling centres and all those sort of things that as Christians, again, we love that hand to hand, eye to eye contact. We love being able to affect change right here, right now, right in front of us. But we often then don't make the next step of being involved in seeing the systems and structures that might create those problems that we're solving. I fear that there are two major challenges for the church in the next few decades in the UK. And one danger might be that we are so busy um, doing social action that we you know, 
stop telling people about Jesus. Number two is that we're so busy doing social action that we don't actually seek justice, that we don't actually seek to see the systems and structures that cause people to stumble, that cause people to be so badly served, that we don't actually speak justice and truth and righteousness to those systems, that we just turn into those who are pastoral. So the church exercises its pastoral duty, but it doesn't exercise its prophetic duty to speak truth and justice to the principalities and powers and systems and structures. You know, as uh, Desmond Tutu said it, we need to be not just pulling the bodies out of the stream. We need to be going upstream to see who's pushing them in. We need to be going upstream to see who's pushing them in. And Martin Luther King, as, as I often use the story of the Good Samaritan, says that, you know, as Christians, we're really good at being the Good Samaritan. We're good at doing the kind, loving thing for the people in front of our face. And it actually feels good to help people in a way that is tangible and in a way that is close to us because we can exercise transformation by giving somebody a piece of bread. We can exercise transformation by bringing somebody into our home. It can, it's brilliant. It's great. And we're hardwired to do that. But it also gives us a buzz. And so it's much more compelling and it's much easier to do. He said, but somebody needs to not just be helping the, the person who's been mugged. Somebody needs to be going back to the Jericho Road to work out how to stop other people getting mugged. To work out, you know, and in, in 2021, that will mean discussions about improving CCTV or more police on the beat. You know, those things you can bet will be discussed around really dull committee room tables, which are going to be far less exciting than actually being involved with people on the ground. Now, we need to do those things. We need first aid. We need paramedics. We need people who will treat people hand to hand, eye to eye. But it's so tempting for us as believers to be only involved in that work and not involved in the work further upstream. Otherwise, the church might get stuck as the paramedic of the UK over the course of the next few decades and not speaking truth and justice to the systems, just treating the victims of a flawed system. And that's where sometimes this unhelpful line of thinking can get us. We will just be pastoral, but we will not be prophetic. We will just be doing what we do and saying, well, politics is a bit dirty, sorting out this fallen world. We'll leave you guys to that. And I think we see some of the impact of the fact that for a few decades, Christians did just step back. Christians did just step back. When a lot of the things that culturally happened in the 60s and 70s, Christians said, oh, I'm not sure that we like what's happening in culture. We will step back from the town halls and from the parliaments. And I think you see the deficit of that in our nation. So can we grit our teeth? Can we be those who will step forward and cope with being with people who we will not agree with on everything, but be salt and light in the midst of political parties that we will absolutely not agree on everything? But look at Obadiah, the example of Obadiah. He was influential in a regime that, was, that would, put, would make a modern day political party look like a birthday party, look like a seven-year-old's birthday party. You know, Nebuchadnezzar's genocidal regime, Daniel being involved in that. And yet you're telling me you can't be, couldn't be involved in a political party. You know, the, the, the God calls his people to be involved in places of darkness. That's the bottom line. We're not just called. We're not just called to keep the salt in the salt cellar. And this idea of influence is challenging. My call to you, my question to you is like, are there relationships in your vicinity, in your locality that God might be calling you to? Who is the next person? If the kingdom of God never moves faster than the speed of relationships, who is the person 
who's not a believer, who's maybe involved politically, might be a local councillor, might be somebody just involved in a local political party. Who's the next person that God might be calling you to minister to, to be friends to, to be involved in that act of persuasion rather than hitting people with emails and with, with petitions to be saying, who's the next person that you're going to build relationship with? Who's the next person you're going to have influence with because you have established a friendship? Who's the next person you're going to have influence with because they get to know the truth of your life, not just your words? Who are the next people you're going to have influence with? I never forget a few years ago, um, I was organizing an event. Uh, it was the launch uh, it was the launch of a big thing in Parliament, and we, it had been very exciting over the course of the last few weeks. We'd had, I think, 40,000 people visit our website, and we had 200 people crammed into a room in the House of Lords that should have been designed for only about 100. It was, a, it was an incredibly exciting event, and people were getting very, you know, really, really enthusiastic about it. But I was praying that afternoon about what to say to the folks. And the hilarious thing about this event was that it was on November the 5th, which is a really interesting night to have an event in Parliament. Those of you who know your history, um, a very especially when you're planning an insurgency, very very interesting night to have an event in Parliament on November the fifth. And and as I prayed that afternoon about what to share that night, uh, I felt so strongly uh, this nudge of God that said, you know, basically, there are people coming tonight who are very excited. There are people coming tonight who are expecting fireworks, quite literally expecting fireworks. And it suddenly struck me that the same was true of the people of first century Palestine. There were a bunch of people who were expecting fireworks. They were wanting liberation. They were wanting revolution. They were wanting to throw off their Roman oppressors. They were expecting fireworks. They were expecting action and they were expecting it fast. And what they got was a bloke talking about a mustard seed. A bloke telling stories of the kingdom that might not be fast, but might be slow, but would be the story of the yeast working through the dough. There's a wonderful book uh, by a Japanese theologian called um, 3MPH God. And it's about how frustrating it is that it seems like sometimes the kingdom of God moves so slowly as we pray through this pandemic saying, how long, Lord, how long are people going to be under the under the, the, the shadow of this disease, Lord, we pray about those who are suffering injustice in our nation. How long, Lord? We pray about other issues in our world. How long, Lord? We get frustrated that it seems sometimes that the kingdom of God moves so slowly at three miles per hour. But number one, is it possible that sometimes it does move slowly because God is a God of relationship? And so that when we're called into these places, it's not just about getting more righteous legislation. It's not just about shifting things in the public sphere. It's actually about people getting to know Jesus. And that's why it happens through people. That's why it happens more slowly, because we want people to smell our Lord, the fragrance of Jesus about us. That's why it happens through people, not just through emails or petitions, because we want people to get to know not just righteous thinking. We want to get to know people to get to know the source of righteousness itself. We want people to get to know our Lord. And so this book explains how frustrating and how painful it can be for the kingdom of God to seemingly move slowly. But the wonder of the fact that the kingdom of God is like a steamroller, even though it's only rolling at three miles per hour, it is unstoppable. That the kingdom of God is unstoppable. 
and we know the end of the story. We know where this ends up and that gives us a confidence and that gives us an ability to speak with a tone that is not that siege mentality that I know too well from Northern Ireland where, oh, the other side, they're going to outbreed us and they're going to be more of us and we're going to be kicked out of here and they're going to take us. So it's this, it's this, this amazing freedom that comes from knowing the end of the story. We know what happens in the end. So we don't stop speaking truth. We don't stop being involved in trying to persuade and influence in the right direction. But there's a freedom and there's a lightness of yoke and an easiness of burden because we know where this ends. We know that that steamroller is unstoppable, that his love and his kingdom is utterly, utterly, utterly unstoppable. And that changes how we look at things and it changes how we can think about things that seem so slow, things that might seem so small in the now. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Do not despise that first phone call, that first Zoom conversation with a local councillor, with an MP, that first moment of, of relationship that might lead to more and more influence and more and more relationship. You never know where it will go down the chain. There's a wonderful lady called Lizzie Jukes from, who lives near Chester. And uh, she is a wonderful, wonderful lady. And she had for years and years been faithfully involved building relationships with her local Lib Dem friends in her vicinity. And she, she had been so passionately involved, but then one day had this crazy idea this crazy idea as she was sitting in a meeting thinking, I, you know, I know what we need to do. Um, if we've got a budget surplus, we shouldn't use it on this. We should use it to save, you know, to help the most vulnerable in our society. I think we should use it to, to um, well, I will, I will just, I will just close with this. Um, that um, John 13 uh, says this, that Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And if that's me, realizing I have that level of power, realizing I have that ability, knowing that all things were under my feet and that they come from God and I was returning to God, that I would want some fireworks. I want to do some damage. But what happens? What is the end of that verse? It's so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. That is what Jesus did with that power. That's what he did. He chose the, the path of service. He chose the path of the small mustard seed moments of relationship and serving and getting his hands dirty and smelly. And for many of us, that might be what we think of when we look at politics, that it would be a smelly, dirty world to get involved in. But as I mentioned earlier, we, we are part of a story. We know the end of it and therefore we can serve and we can trust God that we don't despise the day of small beginnings. So I wonder for each of us, where is that next relationship? Who is that next person that we can serve and share with and be involved in, in a world of persuasion and influence with? Because they know us. They don't just know our words, but they know our lives. Who might God call us to wash their feet in the world of politics? That might be a local councillor. It might be getting involved in local school governor's board. It might be involved as a local magistrate. It might be involved in getting involved in local media on the local radio station to phone in and, and say what we're thinking. Where might God be calling us to get our hands dirty? And, um, and Bernice uh, and I had talked about a few potential uh, things, but I wonder, could we, just, could we just pray? Could we just pray? God, I pray that you would uh, show us where those next people are. Where are the next relationships that you would call us to, that people would see your light, that people would not just know righteous laws and righteous governance, but they would just know you in your righteousness.
that people come to know you through us, through our influence, through our persuasion, Lord God. That we would wash their feet, that we would be serving and loving them. Show us where, God. Call us to be exercising that call that you gave to Adam and Eve to serve in the public space. Lord, show us how you call us to give and to serve. In Jesus' name, amen.